Good morning and welcome. Recently, I got asked this question. The person went, Irish, I realize that after listening to your podcast that you refer a lot of things directly and indirectly to the Tao or Taoism or Taoism. And I was just wondering, do I need to be a Taoist or Taoist to practice Bhagwajang or to learn it? And that's a good question. It got me thinking. Does one need to be a Taoist in order to do Bhagwajang? So I walked around my park like um, Whitaker in Ghost Dog, if you've seen that movie. Sat in the park thinking about it, enjoyed nature, went around, did Bhagwajang some more, thinking some more, thinking, 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 and I overthank it. Thanked it. And the answer from the start of this question to now is no, you don't have to be a Taoist. And but then the next answer is well, it depends. And then it well, naturally, what comes after is like, how so? Why does it depend? Or you don't, you just said first, your first answer was you don't have to be one. So what's going on? And as you can see with my mind, I was getting a bit lost. But the, sh- but the real short answer is still, no, you don't have to. What I'm really getting to is that the path of Taoism, it creeps up on you. But you really don't have to be a Taoist. In fact, most people, when they start learning Bhagwajang, all they do is they go to the nearest martial arts school that teaches it. They go in, sign up for a class. They do it a couple of times. They like it. And then they start learning. And we walk the circle, which is the most basic thing. We have the single palm change. We have the double palm change. And on and on. And then eventually we become more specialized in the sense of we learn about which style of Bhagwajang we are doing. And typically it's one of the five orthodox styles. Maybe you've got an, another one that's a bit different. But so long as we are walking the circle and doing the palm changes and using palms instead of fists mostly, we're doing Bhagwajang. So where does the Taoism of it all come in? Well, it comes in because there's a lot of concepts in Bhagwajang that it's difficult to explain outside of a Taoist mind frame of what's going on within the body, without the body, or why the moves are even the way they are. And the more important part of it, why it's Taoist, is that it's from China. It's a Chinese martial art. It's a Chinese homegrown martial art. And so when it's a homegrown martial art that does not stem from the Shaolin school, the the Buddhist Shaolin school of things, it's regarded as Taoist. And so 
that is is a very basic understanding of it. So at the very, very crudest, basic understanding, you don't need to be a Taoist to practice Bhagwajang, but it is there. It's part of the philosophy and the mindset of learning the art. And so when you listen to my podcast, that's what's coming through. Occasionally, you may hear things that are very Zen-like, and Zen is actually a form of Buddhism that has mixed in with Taoism. It, it, it's, it's regarded by some people as another version of Taoism. But Bhagwajang, like the I Ching, is at its very core much, much older. And yeah, Taoism is just a catch-all phrase sometimes. It cobbles together anything that is really just coming from within China. It's a huge catch-all phrase. That's why it can get very confusing. Like, you can... You, you got you got schools out there. They will insist that you must learn Taoism in order to learn Bhagwajang. They will insist that you must go and sign up to a school and have a lineage and have direct teacher-to-student transmission. Otherwise, it's not the authentic thing. Now, I would say be very careful about those sort of things because until you become proficient in the style and really know what's going on, a lot of those schools, um, it's a money-making exercise. The master is insistent that you sign up, you join the school, and it's a secret style because... They basically need to make money off you. So you can fund his retirement. The thing about teach student to teacher transmission, that that part of it doesn't happen until you become what they call an inner door student. You become like a private student. You're not just going to the dojo to learn, but you stay behind. You might be part of the inner circle. Let's use the Western term. The master's inner circle. Then you get taught all the neat stuff. But even then, most of the people who insist upon it, they insist upon it because they don't read books. Let's just put it honestly. They don't read books. They don't watch movies, videos. And their form of learning is very kinetic. And they need a master to help them out, to teach them, to show them. And that's fair. There are many ways of learning, but to insist there's only one way of learning is is a fallacy. Everyone is different. Those guys who say you must need a teacher, they're no different to the old school road system where we sit at the desk, look up at the blackboard or whiteboard, and we take copious amounts of notes as the teacher's writing on the board. We all write down the same thing. It's no different. Or you got the other one where the master starts doing the moves and you have to try and figure it out for yourself. That one is, for a lack of a better word, that that style of learning is because the, the master doesn't know how to teach. He just knows how to do and you have to figure out the rest and come to your own understanding. Now the Taoist path says you must also come to your own understanding. It's vitally important. But a lot of things are half-assed taught. 
really half-assed. And as a Westerner, you know, we like to ask a lot of questions. We don't just take things as gospel. You know, we want to know why. And in fact, by knowing why we do a certain thing in a certain way, it accelerates our learning. It doesn't mean that we're dumb. In fact, how I got to where I was, was asking a lot of whys, how comes. This in itself, what I'm talking about, is an example of walking the Tao. Now, for those of you who who insist that, well, I know you've said that the Tao is simply the path that you walk, and it's not real. My master says that that's not the real Tao, because the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao. Well, I've got news for you. A lot of those sayings were born out of the fact that back way back when, they were still trying to figure things out. And all I've done is I've conjulated it down to one simple form of example of the Tao. It's a bit like Schrodinger's cat, the, the quantum physics example. The Tao is really sitting in a state of nothingness in the box. The cat is both alive and dead and somewhere in between and sick or what the fuck, whatever. It's sitting in a state of possibility. That is the true Tao. But if you're going to look at the Tao in its ultimate form from the human experience, it's going to blow your mind. You're going to go insane. You, you can't cope. And most people cannot cope. I mean, a lot of people listen to my podcast and they go, oh, he's a fucking idiot. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Oh, he's crazy. Well, yeah, that is what experiencing the Tao in natural is about. Why do you think a lot of those masses go to the forest, the bush, the lake, whatever, away from other people? Because they're fucking insane. They're getting there. They know it. And they need time for clarity. They need time to find their own Tao. That's the important thing. You need time to find your own Tao. Bhagwazang does it by walking the circle. It's only one aspect of the Tao. It's only when you open up the box and what comes out and what state the cat is in, everything collapses into that singularity, that moment in time. So the cat could be alive when you open up. The cat could be dead. The cat could be non-existent. But it is in one reality that you, as a human being, having that moment of experience can comprehend. When you put the thing back into the box and close it, it goes back to its unknowingness, where we cannot know it. So all I've done is say, the Tao is the road, the path that we walk. It's simple. Start from somewhere simple. Something that really makes sense. And even that, in its simplicity, is mind-blowing when I think about it sometimes. So you can see with the question how it led to talking about the Tao. And that is how Bhagavad Gita works. You don't need to be a Taoist. 
the Taoism creeps up on you. The philosophical mindset creeps up. It just creeps up in the thoughts and the meditations that we have as we're doing it. Also, in Taoism, there are many schools of thought. There is the religious version of Taoism, which is a religion. It's, it's like an alternative version of the Catholic faith. There is the philosophical school of Taoism from, from Lao Tzu or Lao Tzu and Chuang Tzu. That version of Taoism is a kind of spiritual philosophy based on um, being around nature and getting away from the rest of humanity. But there is also the Taoism that started in the Han Dynasty by some guy who's known as the first Pope of, of Taoism. And he's also regarded by a lot of people as a charlatan, a magician, a trickster. And he becomes the, the base character, f- character example for many of the Taoists you read in um, Journey to the West. The story about the monkey king, Sun Wukong. Then before Taoism, before it even existed as a spiritual philosophy, all the schools of thought in ancient China were regarded as, by default, as Taoist. So when you're reading the book like The Art of War by Sun Tzu, that is a form of Taoism. When you go deeper into it. When you're reading, say, the I Ching properly, you know, and the commentaries, when you read, that's a form of Taoism. In fact, Bagua Zhang, like the I Ching, I'm repeating myself here, because I'm going in circular loops. This is what Bagua Zhang masters do. Get used to it. Is that it stems back even deeper as a form of shamanic practice. And when I say it's a form of shamanic practice, then you'll go, but you know, that makes it really old. That covers a lot of things. And I go, yeah, it does. Because even like native, um, the First Nations people of America, when, when, it, when, they're, when the um, shaman or, or the, whatever their spirit man is called, um, dances around the fire and he's dancing in a circle, you know, that is how that there there is a spiritual relationship between Baguazhang and what he's doing. It's that deep, and so I know this this podcast is getting a bit long, so I'll repeat the question, which is: Do you need to be a Taoist? To practice Baguazhang, and the simple answer is no. Will you become a Taoist if you practice Baguazhang? And the strong answer is probably yeah, but oh yes, but not necessarily as a Taoist. That is a choice you have to make. There are a lot of people who practice Baguazhang, and they make the choice that they're not going to be a Taoist at all. And in the sense of you go to China, become a monk, become ordained, join a lineage. But they may find themselves 
let, let's just go with the American thing because most people there are traditionally Christian background. They may find themselves reading the New Testament and they may find themselves reading the New Gospels. They won't read the letters or Acts and all the other crap in the New Testament, but they will read the Gospels. Gospels. The four Gospels. Now the reason why I'm saying that is because when you read the four Gospels, you're reading about the life and the story of Jesus, the Messiah. And if you read those alone, many of, of his concepts, beliefs, philosophies is very Taoist. But it's a form of Judeo-Christian Taoism. When you, really, when you really look at it, he wandered the Middle East, you know, the Palestine preaching. He wandered around in circles. He preached a philosophy that Lao Tzu could be proud of. That Christian spirituality is based on the four Gospels. The rest of the New Testament is Christianity the religion. Most new Christians, they read the Acts, they read the letters, the epistles, and so forth. And they love to read the last book, the book of Revelations. And that's it for them. They think they know about Christianity, but they very, very rarely read the actual four Gospels. You see them in the cafes, libraries, studying it to death, but they forgot to actually read the story of Jesus. And if you want to go deeper, the last book, the book of Revelations, isn't actually about the end of the world, even though it reads about doomsday. It was actually the book of St. John. He was a saint living somewhere in the Mediterranean, one of the islands, and he was going through a spiritual transformation, and he wrote it down. He was, he was having semi-hallucinations, but he was having visions. Let's use that word of his transformation, of the process he had to go to go through in order to become enlightened. The visions he was having is his journey of enlightenment. He was a hermit, he was a mystic, and above all, he was an internal spiritual alchemist. And he followed the Tao that he knew about, which was a Christian version of the Tao. A lot of people who get really, really sick, extremely sick, in order to recover, they have similar experiences. And it's a deeply moving personal experience, which he happened to share with the world, and which the people who happen to not know because I've never been through it, um, externalize it and think of it as an external experience when it's an internal one. And that's the important thing when you become proficient at Bhagwajang is your experience becomes, even if the sensations come from outside and, they, and they're part of your daily life, they are a deeply moving internal experience. And that kind of removes us from the day-to-day. 
But even if you say, Peter, I'm not going to go to the forest, I'm not going to become a monk, I'm not going to become a mystic. And I'll say, if you've been practicing, and I, I, say, I, can, I can tell, if you've been practicing Bhagavad for a while, you suddenly crave nature more and more. Even if you live in the urban jungle, you'll find a way to practice it somewhere which is a symbolic representation of being out in nature. And the city, no matter how crowded it gets, always has spaces that remind us of nature, remind us of the Tao and remind us of being one, even if it means sitting on a bench somewhere and staring out into space, looking at people and just observing of what's going on. And I know some of you, that is exactly what is happening. You will be observing a lot of people. And I know as I wrap this podcast up, there'll be some of you who still are lost. Welcome to the Tao. Because that is, that is one of the experiences of, of understanding it. Because you have to get lost first in order to find your way. But I do hope this clarifies. You don't have to be a Taoist. You can let it all go. You can just practice and just become what you're meant to be.